0: from Matthew 16, verses 13 to 19. Matthew 16, 13 to 19. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesar, Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am the Son of Man? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist some Elias and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets he said unto them but whom say ye that I am and Simon Peter answered and said thou art the Christ the son of the living God and Jesus answered and said unto them and said unto him blessed art thou Simon Jonah, for flesh and blood had not received it unto thee but my father which is in heaven and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the key, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whomsoever that shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whomsoever that shall Loose, loose it
1: on earth shall be loose in heaven. And turn to the book of First Timothy. We've been doing a series in First Timothy, and we're entitling this series "Living Out Love in the Local Church." The end of the commandment is love, and the the verse that we've been showing on the screen each week is our text this morning. So we are at the very heart of the book of 1 Timothy when we come to chapter 3 and verses 15 and 16. So, we've been doing blocks of Scripture, but I'm going to just slow down a little bit and do a message this morning on verse 15 and then a message next week on verse 16 because this is the heart, really, of this epistle. And so let's read together 1 John chapter. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14 down through 16 as we start today. These things I write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. And let's please read once again verse number 15. If we could read that together. This will be our text this morning. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So I ask you a question. Why is it so important that we get up out of bed and come to church? My mother did always tell me, Matthew, behave yourself. So this passage reminds me of my mother. You know, it says that we should know how to behave ourselves in the house of God. The, The assumption is we're going to be there. And as Christians, we should. But why? Let's pray. So now, Lord, we just ask for Your wisdom in understanding the power of Your Word and that we would be able to live out and apply as well what You do say to us in the Bible. We thank You that Your, that your Word was given to us so that we can understand truth, that we can know You, and that so, so that we could live for You and please You in this brief life that is only a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. So Father, we just pray that You'll help us as we understand the high value of Your church. And we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. So that's the message I want to speak to you today, the high value of God's church. We must place high value on the church of the living God. It says here, this is the pillar and ground of the truth. We are the house of God. God puts high value on the local church. Now, I'm sure you've been on a road trip. And as you're on that road trip and you're driving down the highway, you got to stop. Every once in a while, you have to stop if you're on a long road trip. Now, some of you don't like to stop. I won't go off into that rabbit trail. But you have to, your car needs gas. The kids need to go to the bathroom. You're hungry, you have to eat. Something happens. So you see the sign on the side of the road and you say rest area. Now, doesn't it really annoy you when you see rest area or it has food and then you get off the exit? and you have to drive two miles? Did that ever happen to you? I get so annoyed at that. Well, that once happened to me, and this was the rest area we came to. I couldn't believe it. I drove two miles for that. Well, (laughs) now, you say, why am I showing this? Because, sad to say, but lots of people see church as a rest stop. As an inconvenience. And not just any old rest stop, but a rest stop, when you get there, you're like, I'm not stopping there, you know. (laughs) i got to find another one. So, of course, when I came to this rest stop, I said, no, I can't stop there, honey. I'll, I'll find a better one. So I looked a little more carefully, and I found, oh, I found a nice, clean BP. Even better, it had next to it a Dunkin' Donuts. And it was a beautiful Station and we went in and I I got my Dunkin' Donut coffee and I got my apple fritter and I, I looked through their candy. I always look through their candy section when I stop at a rest stop. You know what they have to have? Baby Ruth bars. If they have Baby Ruth bars, it's a great rest stop. But the thing is with the rest stop, have you ever stopped at a rest area and say, this is the greatest rest area in the whole world. I'm going to take pictures. Do you have a postcard of this rest area? I'm, I'm going to make this a sure stop next time I'm passing through. To the, as a matter of fact, next year I'm taking my vacation right around this rest area. No. A rest area, you just stop there. You, you, you get the gas. You use the restroom. You buy your Baby Ruth bar and your apple fritter, whatever you need and you get on your you get on the road again and then it's an afterthought because it's only a stop that you have to make cuz you're really going somewhere you're really thinking about the destination so as i considered this message the high value of god's church i just thought how many christians may even view church as like well we got to go to church kind of like an inconvenient stop on my week. I really don't want to go that much, but I'll go, and then once you go, you walk out the door, and that becomes kind of an afterthought to the rest of your week, to the rest of your life. But the church in God's sight is not an afterthought. It's not just a rest stop. The church is his house. Think of that. And the church is a lighthouse. Because there's many people in darkness. It's a schoolhouse. Because many people need wisdom. It's a powerhouse. Because we all need strength. The church. Jesus said, I will build My church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He never said He would build a hospital. And hospitals are important. He never said He would build a school. And schools are important. He never said, I will... Build a radio station, a radio station, and we can go on and on. Those things are important, but Jesus said, "I will build my church. The church is not an afterthought to God. As I said, it's a lighthouse because there's tremendous darkness in the world. And Jesus calls the church His bride. The church is a family, who, and we need fellowship in the church. I like it, I heard somebody say one time that the church has more nobility than the House of Representatives. It has more riches than the warehouse. It has more ambassadors than the state house. There's more friendship than the clubhouse. It's got more excitement than the movie house. You think? <laughs> and it has more authority than the White House. The church of Jesus Christ. It's not an afterthought to God. The church is what Jesus said, I will build. The church is what Scripture says. Paul says that he gave his life for the church. You know, and and I I believe many of our people, we love the church and we love one another and our church is not an afterthought. It's a very central part of our lives, isn't it? What is a church? What is a church? I mean, strip everything else away. The church is not the coffee afterwards. The church isn't... The welcome table back there. Strip everything away. Really, what do you have to have to have a church? You know, you, you really only need two or three people because Jesus said where well, two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. So a church doesn't have to be big, but a local church is a called out assembly of baptized believers. And we do believe that baptism is a believer being immersed in water, picturing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the word "ecclesia," used about 115 times in the New Testament, literally means called out assembly. And that word was used in secular language and in secular times, even for political gatherings. In other words, where there was a business to be done. So there was a gathering called out in order to to do a particular business. So a church is a called-out assembly of people, and the church of Jesus is baptized believers trusting in Him, gathering to, and I put this, this is actually not in your notes, who gather for discipleship, to worship, and fellowship. Those three ships, I believe, are essential to the church. We gather for discipleship, for worship, and fellowship with the triune God and one another in obedience to the Great Commission. I don't believe you could be a church if you're not seeking to fulfill the Great Commission. His last command should be our first concern. And what we as a church gather to do, and one of our statements of heritage is we are a church committed to the Great Commission in an atmosphere of love. And we are committed to Jesus Christ. Obe- to obey the Great Commission, supporting missionaries, getting the gospel to the world. And the partaking of God's ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. In other words, if you don't, if you're not partaking of the ordinances, you're not a church. You could be a gathering, you could be a Bible study, but you're not a church. A church partakes of the ordinances of the Lord's Supper and baptizing believers. The church is the very heart of God's heart. The church is not an inconvenient rest stop for God. It is what Jesus said he will build. So my vision, you know, as your pastor and as the pastor of a local church is that we would see the primacy of the local church, that we would see the centrality of the local church in in our lives and for our families. And that we would seek to propagate the, the gospel in our own personal lives and then support the church so that we could support ministries and mission to get the gospel to the world. So I would like to take a few minutes this morning just looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3. We'll look at a few other scriptures. But I would like to... I don't have the, the first... Uh, Slide. Anyway, so the first point here is that the church is a fellowship, is the fellowship of his family. That's the first point if you're taking notes, and there is a outline in your in your bulletin on page number nine. The high value of God's church. So what does this passage say? This passage says that the church is the house of God. So that phrase, the house of God, leads me to say that the church is the fellowship of His family. When it says the house of God, what what does that mean? The house of God. It's not the physical structure. Now, in the New Testament, in the Bible, a church is never a building. It's never brick and mortar. So when Paul says the church... He says that thou oughtest know how thou thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. In the house of God. He's not talking about a physical structure. Actually, churches in the New Testament met in homes. They didn't have their own buildings. They met in homes of, of, of some of the members and leaders of the church. So the house of God is never a building. And it's not a denomination. When I say the church... The church is not a denomination. The church is not a missionary agency. We have some of our missionaries are with mission boards, and that's fine. Mission boards serve a good purpose, but a mission board is not a church. A radio station, a Bible college serves a good function, but a Bible college is not a church. A hospital and other parachurch ministries. There could be a college campus ministry, for example, that's doing a good thing. And I actually was saved through a college campus ministry that was functioning, however, through a church, and that's always the best thing. But parachurch ministries, and there's many kind of parachurch ministries that do good things for family, for creation, things like take for example uh, the uh, creation museum and Answers in Genesis. It's not a church. But it's doing a good thing. So I'm not, I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying this is what we're dealing with. But what is a church? A church is this assembly right here. We are an assembly of people. And the reason we're gathered together is to do God's business which is to do the ordinances. Next week, we have our Lord's Supper. If if you need to be baptized, we will baptize you. We do baptisms when we have people to baptize. I love to do baptisms. And those are the two main ordinances of the church. And of course, we evangelize ourselves in our own city, and then we support missionaries to go to the uttermost parts of the world fulfilling the Great Commission. The church is a fellowship of God's family. So a family. Think of a husband, wife, couple kids. They have a house. But is the house, the physical house, their family? No, because that family could live in many different houses. The the house only is where the family lives together and does life. And a lot of people will say to us, since we're meeting in a school, they'll say, Do you have a church, your own church? You know, a lot of people will, will say that, and I, I understand what they mean. Oh, we do have a we have a physical structure, a small condominium over at six thirty three Third Avenue. That's not large enough for our Sunday morning meeting, so we meet here on Sunday. We meet over on Third Avenue the rest of the week. But that's not the church. This is the church, wherever we gather and meet together. So. Every house has an architect, has a builder, has a provider for that house, and has an owner. And God's church has an architect. He's the one who has designed the plans. God's church has a builder. Jesus said, I will do what? I will build my church. When God called me into the ministry years ago, I said, if that's what Jesus is building, that's what I want to be a part of. I want to get right in the middle as much as I possibly can. And that's one reason why I became a pastor. Because my heart was there with these scriptures about the local church. Every house has a provider for that house. And God provides for His church. Not just I'm not just talking about the money, but God provides the leaders. God provides the pastors. God provides the deacons. God provides the Sunday school teachers. God provides men and women to serve Him in the local church. And every church has an ultimate owner. And God is the One who's the head of the church. Sometimes people will say to me in talking, they'll say, Pastor, your church... They'll call the church, and let's say they're even a member of the of, of heritage, but they'll say to, the, to me uh, that this is like my church. I always have to say, whose church? You're a member here. I'm a member here. It's our church, and it's ours because we're a body we're the body of Christ, and it's Jesus' church because He's the head. And Paul says that you might know how you ought to behave. That is, get along with each other. You know, it's not easy to get along with people sometimes. Whether it's a family or a church, you're going to have some conflicts in life. We don't run from them. We work them out. But we must learn how we should behave. And Timothy talks about genuine godliness. That's how we behave in God's house. Timothy talks about fervent love, that we should love one another. Timothy, and we've been talking also about prayer. We said even our theme for the year is based on 1 Timothy chapter 2, where he exhorts prayer for all men. And so this is how we ought to behave in the house of God. With genuine godliness, with sincere faith, with fervent love, with continuous prayer. So we get to know one another. We're a family. The family of God. To pray. To know what's going on. By the way, I'm excited tomorrow for one of our members, Sister Danielle, who's going to start her school tomorrow. So we've got to pray for Danielle as she comes from New Jersey and goes to college in midtown Manhattan, that we pray for her safety and success. And that we know and we care. Of course, we care about one another. The second thing I would like to say about the church, not only is the church the fellowship of his family, it's the house of God. That's what Paul says. And by the way, you know, when we talk about the primacy of the church... When you buy a house, that's a big deal. A house is a, when you buy a a physical structure as a family and buy a house, that's a big deal, isn't it? And your house is not an afterthought in your life. The house actually becomes a very important part of your life. Now, I said, yes, the church is not a physical building, but we're the house of God. And God's house is not an afterthought to Him. Because a house is important to the one who owns it, right? So as Christians, I'm just saying, let's enter into God's heart here, if we already have not And understand the importance of the local church, because it's the house of God. And I know if you have a house, a physical house, you care about that house, you want to keep it up, maintain it. Or if you have a, a house in the sense of a, a marriage and children, there's nothing more important in your life than your, than your husband, your wife, your children who are living with you and that you care, make sure that you care for them. Well, the house of God is His heart like that. The second thing about the church from this passage that I see, not only is it the house of God, but it says it's the church... Of the living God. So a church is the place of His presence. It's the fellowship of His family. It's the house of God. And it's the place of His presence. So what's the idea about... It says here, it's the church of the living God. So, when you have a house, and you're alive, you're living where? Where? In your house. (laughs) You live in the house. God's alive! He's here. He's here. This is a place of His presence. This is where we come to experience the presence of God as we open up the Bible, read the Word of God, and pray. And it is my absolute conviction that the living God dwells in a special way with His people when we meet together like this. God dwells with His people as we gather together in His name which is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ. God doesn't dwell in bricks and mortars. He dwells in people. And... He is in you, and He's in you, and He's in you, and He is in me by His Spirit. And when we gather together, the Holy Spirit is in each of us individually, and therefore with us corporately in a way that He is not with us any other way or time. That's why we meet together. Because He dwells in a special way with His people when we meet together to worship Him. Yes, I say it. He meets with us in a unique kind of way. When we meet together. Because this group is unique. And the Holy Spirit is in you. And He's in each of us. Think of that. And we'll look at a couple verses about this. First, consider this Old Testament Scripture. You know it. When Jacob went out and he put his head on a pillow... He must have been real tired to go to sleep on he didn't have a my pillow. But he put his head on a rock. And he woke up. And you know the story. What does it say? It says, And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and he said, What? Surely the Lord is in this place. And then what does he say? I knew it not. I didn't know. I didn't know he was here like this. And he was afraid and he said, how dreadful is this place? And look at his language. This is the language Paul uses. This is none other but the house of God. There it is. The house of God. And This is the gate of heaven. The house of God is the gate of heaven. And a gate in Bible time speaks about transaction of important business. The gate of heaven. We're we're here to do the work of God. The business of God. Souls entering into heaven. But he says, surely the Lord is in this place. It's like Jacob had to wake up to realize that God was there. (laughs) That He was present. And so, Christian, if you're not aware of it, wake up. God is here. The Spirit of God is here. In our midst, the presence of God, Jesus Christ, is here because He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And Jacob says, the Lord is here. I didn't know it. When we come in here, let's know it. Let's, let's be awake to the reality that God is here. Now you say, but God's everywhere. Yeah, He is. Absolutely, I believe it. We believe in the omni. Presence of God. He's everywhere. And He's everywhere in all of His fullness, in every place, in every time. Yes, I'm not presence of God. So a lot of people say, I've heard many people tell me this over the years. God's with me. God is everywhere. And I'm the church, so I'm just going to stay home. I don't need to go to church. It's too complicated dealing with those people there. It is complicated at times. (laughs) No doubt. (laughs) We're all a bit complicated, aren't we? But here's the thing. What I just said, and I've been told many times, many times people have told me this, they say, I'm the church. That is wrong. That is not biblical thinking. You may be a member of the church. You may be a stone... Of the church. But by yourself, you are not a church. Because a church is what? An assembly of people who have been called out to fellowship. So a church is where you make some kind of... There needs to be a human connection. And that's very important to understand. That's why we don't stay home and have what I call bedroom Baptist church. (laughs) Church. Like just say, I'm going to just have church in my bedroom, you know, because I'll just turn on the TV and I'm the church. I'll just have church here. Uh, you know, one thing about this pandemic, I'm thankful for Zoom, but I'm not thankful for Zoom. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's good in some ways, but let's not use Zoom as an excuse to stay out of the house of God. Now if you're sick or some people are traveling and and other people are not here and they cannot be here physically, I'm thankful for Zoom that they can connect with us. Those who are on our Zoom right now. We have a few there. I'm thankful for them. But let us never use Zoom because we're lazy. Or because, oh, that person said something to me last week and I'm angry at them. You, You need to work it out. That's why God put us together in a family. In a family, you work things out. A lot of people look at God like this. Like some kind of evil, angry, absentee landlord who doesn't maintain his facility or property. You've heard that expression, an absentee landlord. Some may let their house decay or let it get infested with rats or bugs and then demand that the tenants still pay their rent. And of course, there's good laws against such evil actions. But God is not an absentee landlord ever. He dwells in the midst of his people. And here's the verse. If you want to turn with me, you can to Ephesians. Please go to Ephesians if you can, chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And Paul in this passage mixes his metaphors as only Paul can. As in verse number 19, he calls us citizens of the Kingdom of God. In verse 19 he says, now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. A saint is not a special class of of Christian who is so declared by the church hundreds of years after they die. No, a saint is a living believer in Jesus Christ. And we're citizens of His kingdom. But then he goes on, he says, and we're of the household of God. So again, that's another metaphor. Not only are we citizens of His kingdom, but we're family members of His house. And then he goes on, and then he, now he's using a physical metaphor of a, of a temple and of a structure. He says, you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So there were twelve apostles. And there were prophets who received direct revelation and messages from God. And they laid the foundation of the church and that foundation has been laid. And Jesus Christ Himself is the chief cornerstone. There's one Lord Jesus Christ. And there are twelve apostles. I don't know the number of the prophets. I don't think there's a number on them. But they laid the, the foundation has been laid by the apostles. There are no apostles today. If somebody tells you they're an apostle, run. That's my counsel to you in all love. They, they're, they, they're a false apostle because there are no apostles today. You say, that's rough, Pastor. I'm just trying to protect you. The Mormon church says they have apostles and it's a false system. The Catholic church says they have an apostle, the Pope, and it's a false system. And there are many Pentecostal and charismatic churches as well. And I know there are very, many of them are very lovely people, but a lot of them, they, every church might have an apostle or prophet in it. Everybody declaring and claiming their own authority from God. Apostle is someone who is personally called by Jesus Christ and then personally trained by Jesus Christ. That's what an apostle is. If you weren't personally called by Jesus Christ and then personally trained by him, remember Paul, read Galatians chapter 1. That was his argument there. I'm an apostle. And he wasn't taught by the other apostles. He was taught directly by who? Jesus. And he was called directly by who? Jesus. He is the 12th apostle, in my mind. Case closed. And there are 12 apostles in the kingdom of heaven. There's foundation stones. How many foundation stones are there? 12, 12 foundation stones. Each one is named after one of the apostles. There's 12. Okay, I'll move on. And it says, in whom all the building, this is us now, he's getting to us. In whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. So we are like the stones. No, and these, isn't the Brooklyn Bridge magnificent? One of the things that's so magnificent about it is the stonework. And those stones were not prefab made for that. It's like they were each individually chosen. I could be wrong, but that's the way it looks like to me. But that's basically the picture here is that the stones were individually chosen. And so in a sense, we are the chosen of God and he brings us into the family of God. And and it's, and, and Paul you makes up a word here in the original language. There's two words actually. They're, they're, I don't believe they're used anywhere else in the New Testament in verse 21 where he says we're fitly framed together. And then in verse 22 he says, and that you are builded together. So we're fitly framed to make a temple, but he's talking about us as living stones of a a living temple. And and it's, it's that where God inhabits. It says that we might be a habitation, a dwelling place of God by His Spirit. His Spirit is here. Through the, through the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of His resurrection. Jesus Christ took our sins and He went to the cross and He died. And He was buried and He rose again. And He said, I'll send you another comforter. And the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ in us. And He's here. Thank you, Lord, for being here. We're the dwelling place of God. And if you keep reading... In chapter 3, it's so fascinating. And I just want to do this real quick, but let me just keep reading in chapter 3 of Ephesians. He says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he has made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in few words. So, Paul received a mystery from the Lord. And what's the mystery? He says, whereby when you read, you may understand My knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Verse 5, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So, what is a mystery? A mystery is something that was hidden. But now it's revealed. And it can only be understood by divine illumination through the revelation of God. So Paul was given a mystery. And you know what ultimately the mystery is? It's in verse number 6. That the Gentiles... How many Gentiles here? If you're not Jewish, use a Gentile. (laughs) That the Gentiles, us, most of us here, and if you're Jewish, praise God. If you're a Gentile, praise God. But the Gentiles throughout... The Old Testament history felt like they were outside of the people of God, of Israel. But the mystery is, is that God was going to establish a church. And the church is a mystery. In the sense that, think about it. Read your Bible from Genesis all the way through Malachi. Go ahead. When you get to Malachi, would you conclude this? When the Messiah comes, He's going to establish His church. Would you, would you conclude that? No. It's not there. It's a mystery. Jesus said He would build His church. And that, that which was hidden has now been revealed. The church at, of Jew and Gentile coming together in one. And here's the verse. Let's read it verse 6. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of His promise. In Christ, by the Gospel. The Gospel, in a sense, was a mystery revealed, but the mystery has now been solved. That God has made a place for Jews and Gentiles to come to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, where God is present with us Gentiles who Paul later earlier said in this book, before we were aliens and we were strangers to the covenants of promise and we, we had no hope. We were without God in the world. But now we know Jesus Christ. We know the God of, of heaven and earth. And He dwells with us. What a privilege! What an honor! This isn't an afterthought. This isn't an inconvenience. This is a very high point of our life to be in the presence of God with one another. the Word of God open in our hearts and minds and on our laps. It's an amazing thing. So I said yesterday, I sent out an email. I said, we're going to have a living dinosaur in church tomorrow. Now, can you imagine if there was going to be a living brontosaurus or tyrannosaurus rex? If I had a real living dinosaur ancient, can you imagine the excitement? There would be millions of people who would want to see that. I understand that. But then you open the email and it's like, I'm only kidding, of course, you know. We don't have a living dinosaur. We have someone better. We have the living God. And that's why I say that let's not replace being in the house of God with TV or cyber church. They have their place. But if we're well, we're strong, we're able to come, get the energy. Be excited. Don't, be, don't think you're being inconvenienced. We're privileged. The third thing about this passage, back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, not only is the, the church... His house, the house of God. It's the fellowship of His family. And then, we said that the church, secondly, is the place of His presence. It's the church of the living. The living God. Thank God our God is alive. Jesus died and He rose again. But the third thing we see here is the church is the temple of His truth. Now notice this passage, and this gets to the very heart. Maybe this last statement of 1 Timothy 3.15 is, it could well be the very heart of this epistle, where he says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, in the Old Testament, of course, this is Solomon's temple. There were two pillars, and they actually were given names. And there's the passage we won't turn there Second Chronicles chapter 317 one pillar was established he was called he shall establish and the other pillar Boaz was called in it is strength and so the church is the pillar and ground of the truth that we seek to establish the truth and we seek to hold forth the truth in the strength of Jesus Christ to the world and notice that last word of verse 15. What is the last word there? It is what? What is that word? Truth. That, that's a big word, isn't it? Can we know the truth? Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We're actually going to be in John 14, 6 tonight on the radio. If you have any friends, good, good message for them to listen. Good conversation actually for them to hear. to to hear a good Gospel presentation with Micah and Brother Charlie and myself. Truth is a very important word in the pastoral epistles. Earlier in chapter 2, what did he say in verse 4 about truth? We pray for all men in verse 1. And what does verse 4 say? Because God will have all men to be saved and to come to the what? The knowledge of the truth. So that is a, that is speaking with an understanding of who Jesus Christ is, what Jesus Christ came to do so that they could be saved, a knowledge of the truth. And then Paul says in verse 7 that he was ordained to be what? In chapter 2 verse 7, what does Paul say he was ordained to do? To be a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the truth. Okay, so, so truth is the very purpose of what the church is, is to do here so that people could be saved. The church cannot drop the truth. We cannot ignore the truth. We cannot change the truth. We must preach and teach the truth so that all men can be saved. But Paul is dealing with Timothy in the pastoral epistles because there were heresies coming around. Doctrines of demons were coming into the church. And he says in chapter 6, verse 5, some were destitute of the truth. That word destitute is the idea of the teachers were robbing people of the truth. Keeping the truth back. Defrauding them from the truth. Chapter 2, verse 18 says they erred from the truth. Chapter 3, verse 8 says they resisted the truth. Chapter 4, verse 4 of 2 Timothy says they turned their ear away from the truth. And I want you to turn to this one. Go to 2 Timothy, chapter 3. And I would just encourage, do you like to do word studies? Good word study right here. Get your blue letter Bible out, app. Put truth in there. And just look at the word truth. And even how it's used in the pastoral epistles. I just gave you like six references. And I thought they were all very important. That's why I shared them. But I want us to look at this one especially. Because it, these so remind me of... Uh, I think they remind us of our culture and what's going on. Look what it says in Second Timothy chapter 3. And Paul's clearly saying these are the last times. Perilous times have come. And going down into verse number 7, he says that men in these perilous times are ever learning and never able to come to what? The knowledge of the truth. There's that same expression that he used back in chapter 2, that all men should come to the knowledge of the truth. But people are just learning everything else. People know everything about what's happening in the news, what's happening in politics, what's happening in Washington, what's happening in Ukraine. And I'm not saying those things aren't important. And I'm not saying we shouldn't pay attention to the news. But we must first of all realize as a church we're here so that people could know about God and Jesus Christ, the knowledge of the truth of His Word. Spurgeon said it is the business of the church to maintain, to propagate, to uphold, to spread, to defend the truth as it is in Jesus, wherever that church may be placed. May God help us. We're not a perfect church. I am far from a perfect man or pastor. But this is our heart still to be a pillar and a ground Now, this would obviously have real significance to the Ephesians. Remember, Paul's writing to Timothy in Ephesus. And Ephesus at that time was one of the the ancient physical structures. They called it one of the wonders of the ancient world. It was a temple to, to Diana. And this was a massive structure that had 127 columns up to 60 feet high. But yet... It only filled that city with dark idolatry and deep immorality. And so when Paul writes this, no doubt it connected with the Ephesians that that just like the world saw the the pillars at the temple of of Diana as as so beautiful, and, and people came from all around the world to worship in that temple in Ephesus. But Paul says that we are the pillars of the truth. The church! We are a living pillar of the truth of Jesus Christ. By the way, this is what remains today. Something, think about this. Something, a place where people all around the world came to worship. Who's worshiping Diana today? Nobody. Not a soul. Because she is not a God. Who's worshiping Jesus. There's little churches like us all around the world. The world doesn't really know about us nor care about us, and that's okay, but God cares about us, and He's here with us. So, two things about this. There's two things He says about the truth, that we are the pillar of the truth. Now, let me just say again, I am not the pillar of this church. When it says that we are to be the pillar and ground... Of the truth. He's not saying the pastor. And he's dealt with pastors in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. But the pastor is not the pillar of the church. And then he dealt with deacons in verses 8 through 13. But the deacons are not the pillar of the church. So maybe I spoke about pastors and he's like, well, I'm not a pastor or a deacon. Well, I'm not a deacon. But you are a part of the church and you are a pillar. This is for all of us. It's the church is to be a pillar. And let me also say it's the church is not the truth. We we are not the truth. The truth is in God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and His Word. Jesus said the Word is truth. The Word of God is inspired without error. Truth. So we display the truth. We hold up the truth. We speak forth His truth. And that's really what a a pillar brings. Dignity. And beauty to that building. So we want to bring. Dignity. And beauty to the truth of God. So that people will want Jesus. May God help us. Because we're living in a community where. Again. We realize a lot of people. We're we're just like that rest stop. Remember that first rest stop? That's That's how this world looks at our church. We are the last place they'll ever stop at. For some people. But. Let's just keep on, man. Let's keep praying for all men to be saved and speaking forth unashamed, seeking to give dignity and beauty to the truth of Jesus Christ, because He is a beautiful God, a beautiful Savior. Wonderful. Wonderful is our Savior Jesus Christ. Isn't He? Isn't He wonderful? Isn't he full of kindness and full of grace and full of truth and full of mercy? He is everything and every He is exactly what this world needs. You know, I was looking back at old pictures recently and I I, I saw my high school graduation brochure. And you know what the theme song was for our high school graduation? It was a song by Jackson Brown. One of our, in, in my high school, we, all, we liked Jackson Brown. He was like a folk singer. But he had this song called For Every Man. And it's really an interesting song, actually, because the song is like, I'm looking for this man. He's for every man. But I don't know where to find him. And that was the theme song for my high school class. Looking back, I say, Wow. I know I was that song really related to me. I was looking for someone who who is the ultimate truth, but I couldn't lay my hand on him. I didn't know who he was. Thank God, Jesus saved me by His grace. Oh, thank you, Lord. Now we just want to hold forth this truth with dignity. And the last thing here is we want to stand on that truth unmovably. I don't know if that's a word or not, but I'm using it as a word unmovably. The Google didn't like it. it you know, it, it didn't. I didn't know whether it should be EY at the end or just I just went with the LY. But I don't think it's a word. I'll be like Paul, make up my own. Okay. But I should I'm not my Paul. We stand on the truth, unmovable, unshakable. So when it says that the these are actually this word, I'll just say this: If you do a word study on this word, ground. I believe it's the only time it appears in the New Testament so it's it's really not we're not really sh- I'm not really sure what this word means. I thought for a while that maybe pillar and ground are synonyms and it could be that they're synonyms. But most of the commentaries that I have seem to indicate there was a difference one was a pillar, something that is holding up and then a ground, something that is being some kind of a foundation or something that we stand on. So I'm just taking it that way, that we are, we're standing on the truth unmovably to the world. And there's a lot, of, a lot of churches are moving from the truth, beloved. They don't want to stand on the truth. I say, let's stand on the truth of God's Word. We don't stand on the writings of the church fathers. I'm glad I don't. I appreciate some of them. The early church fathers. But we stand on the Word of God, which is inspired truth. We don't stand on the words of men. We stand on the Word of God. This is our desire. This is our goal. And this is our call to be a temple of His truth, to be a place where God will happily come down and dwell in our midst, to be a family where we can enjoy fellowship with one another. We are the church. I'm thankful for the church. I'm so thankful for you folks. I've been blessed by the church. I was saved in the third row of a little Baptist church in Clemson, South Carolina when when I started raising support to come to New York back in 1983. I was still I just got married and but I was still in college and my first deputation meeting to raise support was in the church where I was saved. And after that service, the pastor said, I said, How did I do? He said, Well, you need to get three good messages. So I've been working on that ever since. You know, try to get a good sermon. I'm still working on it. I'll keep on trying. But we, we went on and we started raising support and we traveled from South Carolina to Denver, Colorado to Maine to Texas. You know what guys do and families do to raise support, and God's people were so good to us, and they have always been. I, I I can't. I have no complaints about the church. Some people like have horror stories of experience in the local church, and that's very sad and tragic to me. If you've had a tragic experience in the local church, please forgive us. Don't hold the the Church of Jesus Christ accountable. And seek to work through that, get counsel and get help. But I have to say I thank God for the church. I'll just say this and I'll close. So I was in Brooklyn, we had started our first church and I was challenged to raise support to buy a building, a storefront on Flatbush Avenue, and we needed like fifty thousand dollars, which to me was like five million. It was like fifty million. I I had nowhere close. I didn't know how to get fifty thousand dollars this back in nineteen eighty four. And About a week after, I really believed God was going to do this, I got a letter in the mail from a a dear lady. We had stayed in her home on our deputation and our travels. And she sent a check for $367 from a garage sale, from a yard sale that she had. And I got that. I was so blessed. And I said, God... You're going to do it. I was convinced. And He did. We were able to get that building, that storefront on Flatbush Avenue. and, And God just does that. The church is beautiful. The church is God's. The church is in the very heart of God. So let's just commit ourselves to Jesus and His church. Let's stand together as we pray. The high value of God's church... It's just the fellowship of his family. It's the place of his presence. It's the temple of his truth. Thank you, Lord, for your church. You're a living God in our midst. Thank you for our church here. We've been together, some of us, for many years. We're friends, we're family. In some ways, Lord, I'm much closer to my dear family here than I am to to anyone that I've ever met in my life. Brothers and sisters here, God, I pray that You'll bless our fellowship. I pray You'll bless our church. I pray that... God, I pray that You would meet with us. I pray that Your Holy Spirit would speak to us as we gather together week by week. I pray that it wouldn't become old and inconvenient to us, but Lord, that we would come with a sense of privilege and excitement into your house to, to be with one another, to fellowship, to encourage, to pray with somebody, to serve, as well as to hear your Word speak directly to us. Lord, speak to us through the Word of God by your Holy Spirit. Lord, may this be a real experience with you each time we come. Because Lord, if we don't meet with you, it will be dry and empty. But Lord, if you're here, it will be living and it will be exciting. Thank you, Lord. For Your love. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And who would say, Pastor Matt, today, I thank God for His church. And I want to have the heart of Jesus Christ for His church. And I want to love His church as Jesus loved His church and gave Himself for it. And I I thank God for His church. And I want to serve Him and make the sacrifices that He's called me to make in His local church. Can I just see Your hand today? Just put it up and just pray. And ask God how He could use you even here if this is His will for you. And just say, thank You, Lord, for Your church here that we're meeting and gathered around the world. Think of all the churches gathered around the world right now and through the hours before us and after us according to time change. Oh, it's so so exciting to think that we're a part of something so great. The church of Jesus Christ. You could put your hands down. How many would say, Pastor Matt, I'm not a Christian, but I'd like to know. I'd like to know Jesus. I'd like to know Him so that I could have eternal life. So that I could come to a knowledge of the truth. I want the truth of Jesus Christ. I I, I didn't know of Him, but you spoke a little bit about Him today and I want to know Him more. And I want to know how He could save me and take me to heaven when I die. Is there anyone like that? You say, I need to know how I can go from... Earth to heaven. I want to know how I can go to heaven when I die. Is there anyone like that? Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? Oh, Father, please work. Bring people in to our church who need You now, Lord. So we praise You and we thank You, God, as we rise up to serve You. In Jesus' name, Amen. As we close today, let's sing.